Okay, welcome everybody to day 33 of our journey through Scripture. Today's passages are going to be Job chapters 25 through 29, and then Matthew chapter 21 verses 33, verse 33 through chapter 22, verse 14. Okay, let's look at these uh, chapters from Job. Um, uh, chapter 25 is, uh, is, is um, a speech by Bildad the Shuhite, and I don't know if there's a whole lot to comment on there. Uh, essentially, it's, it's amusing on the question, how can any man be pure in God's eyes? And so this fits into Job's um, attempted exoneration of himself, because um, obviously, if, if you're claiming you're righteous, Job, no one can claim that they're righteous. Um, of course, this uh, if you're plugging this into the mechanistic view of God's justice, then how do you explain that uh, that not everybody is miserable then? Um, because God judges wickedness, don't you know? And if you're suffering wickedness, it's because you're unrighteous. Uh, chapter 26, uh, Job responds to that. And uh, chapter 26 is pretty much all a reflection on God's providential care and sovereignty. Um, but the one thing I want to point out, and it's Again, it's this weird thing that I've been pointing out um, already in both chapter 9, verse 13, and 26, verse 12. But again, we have this mention of Rahab. Okay, so by his power, this is verse 12, by his power he stilled the sea, and his understanding by his understanding he shattered Rahab. Um, but it's interesting what 13 goes on to say, where he says, by his wind the heavens were made fair, and his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. And the reason I mention that is because here you have Rahab and apparently Leviathan mentioned alongside one another. Um, because And the, re- the reason I say that's Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, is because that is exactly the designation that's given to him in uh, Isaiah 27.1, the Nachash Baria, the, the, the uh, fleeing serpent. Then in Job 27, Job still speaking, um, we see that he continues to maintain his innocence uh, as a mark of his integrity, and uh, he himself adopts the mechanistic view of God's justice. You see this all the way from verses 7 through 23, um, you know, talking about what happens to the wicked. If you're wicked, this will happen to you. Um But then when he gets to verses 14 through 20, which is part of that, it kind of sounds like he's describing himself. And so, um, like, uncannily. um, So, you read, if his children are multiplied, it is for the sword, and his descendants have not enough bread. Those who survive him, the pestilence buries, and his widows do not weep. Though he heap up silver like dust and pile up clothing like clay... He may pile up, but the righteous will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. He builds his house like a moth's and like a booth that a watchman makes. He goes to bed rich, but will do so no more. He opens his eyes, and his wealth is gone. Terrors overtake him like a flood. In the night, a whirlwind carries him off. Um, so this is kind of, you know, it, it almost sounds like he's he ends up describing himself when he's describing the wicked there. Um, 
And then in chapter 28, Job is continuing to speak here. Uh, in verses 1 through 11, I think the general way to describe that is he's talking about mining, how man has mastered pulling precious minerals and, uh, and metals from the earth. Um, and the point there is given in verses 12 through 19, but he can't mine wisdom, nor can he pay for it with what he pulls, for, pulls from the earth. Um, and then verses 20 through 22, this question, where does wisdom come from? Well, no one knows, but guess who does? God knows, verses 23 through 28, especially verse 28, right? Verse 28 sounds like it would be, it would be um, fitting to see in Proverbs. Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Then finally, uh, we look at chapter 29. Again, this is Job speaking. He's reflecting on the days of old, how how great his life used to be, and uh, just a diff- few different ways of, of talking about his prominence, his wealth, his prosperities. And that is uh, because he's setting up a that was then, this is now kind of thing. And chapter 30, which we'll look at tomorrow, is going to be the this is now. So um, a little bit of a weird place to break it off uh, because he's going to make his point in chapter 30. But yeah, that's chapter Job chapter 29 for you. Um, okay, let's go over to Matthew. Um, and we're picking up in chapter 21, verse 33. So Matthew 21, verse 33. Okay, um, here is a parable that Jesus is teaching, and uh, remember, he is in the temple here teaching. Um, he's been challenged by the chief priests and elders um, who are asking about uh, the authority that Jesus has to do the things he's been doing. Um, he challenged them that with the, the John the Baptist uh, question, um, showing that they don't really care about truth. They're more interested in what is the most um, politically expedient, I suppose we could say, um, a way of thinking through things. That's what they're concerned with. What's going to make us popular? How are people going to respond? And um, yeah, then he tells this parable of the two sons, the one who go, who says he's going to go and doesn't, and the one who doesn't say, who says he's not going to go and then does. And that's where um, he gets into an, here another parable, and he talks about a master of the of a house who who built this uh, this this grand uh, wine press with a tower, and then he puts tenants in charge of it, um, people who are supposed to be taking care of the wine press, what the what the master owns, and uh, when it's time to see fruit, okay, when he is is ready to ask something from his wine press, I suppose we could say. Um, he sends his, sends his servants, and the tenants who've been in charge of this watching over the, the, the wine press kill the servants. Um, and They beat one, they kill another, they stone another. And uh, then he goes and he sends even more servants, and the same is done to them. And then finally, and in case it's unclear what he's talking about, uh, they will respect my son. But when they saw the son, they said themselves, this is the heir, come let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And what he's describing here is the, uh, the, the track record of Israel's shepherds in how they treat those who are sent by God, the, the, particularly the prophets, the righteous, um, 
this is uh, very similar to what he'll eventually say in the woes to the Pharisees toward the end of chapter 23. He's going to talk about how uh, they like to de- decorate the tombs of the prophets and the uh, the the, whole, the good people, uh, but their their deeds testify that they would have been among those who actually killed them. So that's kind of the implication here, um, and he gets them to testify about themselves, right? To, to bear witness against themselves. Uh, Cause he says, what do you think the master will do to those tenants? And they say, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in its season. Note here, not only the judgment on the, uh, on the tenants, but new tenants coming in who will fulfill the, um, the mandate of the master. Um, this is commensurate with Matthew's perspective on God bringing Gentiles in, and we um, uh, get that pretty clearly here. Um, and then Jesus challenges uh, challenges them with a, a quote from a psalm that we've already seen used. This is the same psalm that the uh, people welcomed him into Jerusalem to. This is Psalm 18. Specifically, he's quoting 20, verses 22 through 23, which occurs right before the Hosanna, save us now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But he says, haven't you ever read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And it's this idea that the the one... It's the builders, right? These aren't these aren't uh, these aren't incidental people. These are those who are entrusted, okay, like the leaders, the Pharisees, the priests. But they reject the stone, and God takes that and makes it the cornerstone. That is the the stone that sets the direction for the foundation of the entire building. Um, and as a result of these, um, well, th- then he says what almost what they they said themselves, right? That the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, um, priests, chief priests and elders, and and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So that this is a direct challenge to them. He's pretty much naming them. It'll be taken away from you. And... Um, and they hear this, and um, that's it. Now they're seeking to arrest him, but they can't do it because they're afraid of the crowds, because the crowds hold him to be a prophet. So the same issue that they had with uh, not being able to answer his question about John the Baptist, now they find themselves in the position of doing the same with Jesus. Okay, that's it for today. Uh, it was a short one, so go do something um, that would please the Lord with the extra time that you have. Um, Until tomorrow, take care. Bye-bye.